Our guest today is Rita Chigoze Chikwike, a podcaster and audio editor. She describes herself as a life enthusiast, one who's passionate about authentic living, a self-motivated individual, and constantly exploring life. She has worked as a humanitarian and a social worker with focus on women and child rights, and her philosophy of life is to live true rather than to live right. I am Sarah Oseki, and this is she Tabletop Podcast. Hello, Rita. Thank you so much for joining me on the table today. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. It feels great to be here. Okay. So you are actually the first podcaster I'm having on the podcast. So oh wow. <laughs> I trust <laughs> this is going to be an amazing episode with a fellow podcaster. Definitely. Okay. Tell us about your podcast, The Girl Unplugged Podcast. The Girl Unplugged Podcast is a platform for expression and discussing life issues as an African woman. So it's always from my lens and the lens of other women or men who talk about African issues, you know, how it affects us, how it uplifts us and all that. But the main focus is actually exploring life issues as an African woman, the way I see it, how it affects me. Um, on the podcast, we have no need to sound right. The only need to be true about yourself, your story and your opinion. So, yeah. Okay. So just before now, you shared with me before your philosophy of life. And you said living, living true rather than living right. So how did you come up with that philosophy? Okay, so um, <laughs> that's an interesting question. I ask myself that question all the time too. So I've always lived um, with this mindset of right or wrong, you know. And I've noticed that over time, what I believe to be right or wrong puts me in a box, you know, puts me in a fixed mindset that either says that it is this or that. So over time, with exposure and constant learning and unlearning, I've come to see that in this life, I owe it to myself to live true rather than live according to what is right or wrong. And by living true is to stick with my journey. However, I see myself as I'm constantly evolving, as I'm constantly learning to new things, I am open. You know, I am not restricted in trying to say, oh, should I do this? No, this is not right. You know, but to actually find for myself, is this right? If it is wrong, why is it wrong? If it is right, what makes it right? And then with that exploration, I'm able to build a solid convictions about the things that I believe in. So yes, that is how I came about that. Okay, that's an interesting one, really. For today's episode, you are sharing with us the girl who left home. When I saw this as your... Instagram username on your personal page. That was last year. I was like, why the girl who left home? And at first I didn't know it was you. 
I later connected the dots and I said, oh, this is Rita. <laughs> this is her personal page. I was I was surprised. <laughs> Why the girl who left? And so I said, I'm definitely going to bring her on the show so that she would share that part with us why she left home and uh, everything we really need to know to the extent yeah. of you using it as your username. We really need to dig deep. Okay, the table is yours. Tell us about yourself and uh, share your story with us. Okay, my name is Chigozie Rita Chukwike, but people know me as Rita. I am a daughter, I am a mom, I am a sister and a woman. I am also the podcast host of the Girl Unplugged podcast and I am an audio editor. So growing up, the earlier part of my life as a child, like I mean, when I was in nursery and primary school, I lived a free life, you know, I lived a life without bias about who I was or how I not to express or to express myself you get and so i remember those days um i'll be called waza queen waza queen is something they call it's an Igbo slang for children that is all over the place like that is how i can describe the sense of freedom that i had when i was a child i loved play and i loved playing with boys girls i played football while i was small I will scratch my knees and my leg and my mom will be so worried. She'll be like, you don't know you're a woman. If you hurt yourself and when you grow up, you will not be desirable. You will not look like a girl or a woman. What is wrong with you, you know? So, but that was how, you know, free and expressive I was when I was a child. But at the early age of my secondary school, things started to change. And but in school, you know, the responsibility of now taking care of myself came heavy on me, unprepared, you know. In fact, I had this mindset that I'm going to go to boarding school. It was a time for me to leave my parents, you know, have fun. I didn't know that boarding school had other plans for me. <laughs> In fact, on the first week of my schooling, I lost all my properties, all my things, except for my mattress, and the day wear that I had on, it was that bad. <laughs> yeah, that was my first experience in boarding school. And also with boarding school um, came this need to be likable and wanting to be friends with people that I considered we are the happening people in school. And that cost me a lot because I had to endure bullying and doing stuff that I didn't like, but, you know, just to feel among, I would do them. So my mates, I will serve them in quotes. Now I will wash their day. Weary. I would, you know, copy their notes and all that. Anything that will make them want to have me in their group, I would do it. But the interesting thing in all this was that deep down within me, I didn't like it because I felt like I didn't need to go through all this to be friends with people. But at the same time, I couldn't stand for myself. I felt like their friendship was more, you know, important. I mean, if you are among the cliques that are happening in school, it means a lot. So, so I couldn't speak out or stop following them and yeah. That was a phase in my growing up that really 
you know, I think it was, it was a, it, it was a part of my life that when I look back, I not so much as regrets, but I, I felt like that girl that was younger, that was the time that I silenced that spirit of being free and being myself, no matter what. And so things happened. I came out from secondary school. I had to wait like how many years? So I waited for four years at home after I left secondary school because of so many reasons. One, I left school when I was 16 years old and, you know, my, my father felt like I was too young to be exposed to the university life that I needed to, you know, stay at home for like a year or two to like get a sense of maturity according to him. Then secondly, um, I wrote jam and I got it the first time, but because of my dad's decision, I stayed back at home and then I wrote jump again and things did not favor me again. So I had to rewrite jump the second time. And also contributing to me writing jump severally was the fact that my parents wanted me to study medicine. And so the cutoff mark for medicine is not something you just get just like that. I was smart, you know, but not um, I wasn't that I wasn't cut out for the science when the science class and people perceive science people are smart so <laughs> all that accumulated to like affect this part of my life where I stayed four years and even while I was waiting I was still not sure of what I wanted to do with my life then but because my parents were pushing me, okay, medicine, when I now wrote jam two, three times, they now said, okay, since you're not getting medicine, do medical lab, but it must be something medical. But after the third year, I now got admission to study medicine in Madonna University or Kija. And my father now refused because he was like, you are going to leave us in Enugu state, because I stayed with my family in Enugu, and go to university in another state. No, this is not happening. You have to go from the house. So they now found another university for me that I could be going from home. And what they offered me with my cutoff mark was applied biology. And so I took it because even me, I was now frustrated. I didn't want to stay at home any longer. I now said to myself, this is what I'm going to do. And so I studied applied biology. After four years, I graduated. I went for youth service and I came back home after youth service with a child. I got pregnant and I had a son and I came back <laughs> with both my NYSE certificates and a bouncing baby boy. So yeah, I think growing up, that was, that was just it. That was, that was all that happened until I was, you know, in my late twenties. I had my son when I was 26 years old. And so when I came back, I needed a job, you know, and then I got an offer to work in a development work society organization and NGO and that was how I ventured into the humanitarian sector or the humanitarian profession. I would say that that aspect of my career chose me actually. I didn't choose it because on a normal day I didn't even know that that sector existed you know but I got to know and 
older friend who I met in a development, like a civil society meeting. And, you know, he was like, ah, you are smart. What do you do? And I was like, um, currently not doing anything. I'm looking for a job. And he was, he was not like, okay, would you like to work um, in an NGO? But the NGO is not in Enugu, it's in Abuja. And I said to myself, yeah, I would. I would want to, and things were really tough then because I already had a son. So I had a responsibility to provide, even though my parents were supporting me, but it was, it was tough because um, I was also getting pressure from my parents because they trained me and they didn't expect me to come back with a son. So they were a bit frustrated, angered and all that. So it was, it was causing us to have, you know, rife between us. So I really, I jumped on that opportunity because I felt like, okay, this will give me that opportunity to end something that would, you know, kind of restore my dignity back again in the eyes of my parents. And so I took the job. I left my son at the age of two in Enugu with my parents and I went to work in Abuja. And that was actually the first time. No, that's the second time I left home. The first time I left home was when I went for NYSC in Calabar, which resulted in me having a son. And then the second time was going to Abuja. I just want to take you back a little from growing up, your everyday life as a young girl, being guided by a mother, what to do, what not to do, preparing you for womanhood, if I should say. And then your dad not wanting you to leave home at 16 for university because he just felt that you were not matured enough. Probably you cannot handle the stress of uh, facing university at uh, university life at 16 and all that. And then leaving home at the age you left for university and coming back with a son. How did that affect you? And uh, what were the reactions from your parents as at that time? My parents were not happy with me, but they, they lived up to their responsibility of being there for me as their daughter. I remember when I went for the NYSC, when I got pregnant, I got pregnant within the time that I was supposed to go back. Um, I was supposed to finish up, you know, four months before I will pass out. So I was four months pregnant then. And so I already resolved in my mind, okay, I was pregnant and the father of the child didn't want him. So I would have to stay back even when I finished my NYSC to be able to, you know, have this. In fact, I made up my mind I was going to just stay back. So it was like me trying to say I will run away from home. When the child would be like three or four years, I will now take him home you know, and now tell my parents, this is the reason why I, I didn't come home and all that. But um, two weeks before I put to bed, my father called me on the phone and asked me a question. He said, why are you staying back in? Because I was in Cross River then. Why are you staying back in Cross River? And I said that, that I can't, I started crying. I said, I can't come back to face them with the way I was looking. My tummy was big, you know, and everything that I feel like a disappointment. And my dad said something that changed my life up till now. He said to me, you are a daughter of a king. Why are you living like, like a pauper? I was quiet. 
coming from my dad it meant a lot to me because i really look up to my dad even while growing up i never saw my dad as somebody that did any wrong or bad thing you know and so coming from him he restored this sense of <laughs> you know i had this sense of okay i didn't do anything bad you get when he said that he now said come back home whoever that would say it to you will first come through me that was what did it for me that was how i decided to get back home but maybe fortunately or unfortunately after we had that discussion he was like is it money is it are you lacking money i'll send you money to come home and all that so within that period i went into labor and i decided to stay back and just have the child then travel with the child back home so two um 3 days after i had my baby i traveled home with the baby it was it was a trying time for me okay so i want to ask how did you do it how did you manage to stay for 9 months without your parents were they aware when you got pregnant immediately did you tell them about it how did you go 9 months without your parents without family members or close relative around you how did you go about your atinata how did you even go into labor on your own i'm just curious to know all these things how did you do it rita okay so you know when you were in a particular situation you develop the thick skin required for that situation and so all the while okay when i was um when i was four um two months pregnant i came home you know you know how you just come home you are still serving but you just decide to take a weekend and come home so i came home i told my younger sister see i am pregnant and i know that daddy will kill me but let's just keep it between me and you i am i just came back because i want to like have a feel of home the last time before i disappear because that is what i'm planning to do now you're not going to see me till 2 years my sister started crying my sister said no you can't i will support you even if daddy chases you out of the house i will go with you don't please don't please you know she kept on telling me these things i was like but in my mind i knew that it was going to be a tough time for my parents and i feared my dad a lot so after that i left i was 3 months 2 to 3 months pregnant then and so when in my fourth month i called my mom on the phone i told my mom mom i'm pregnant my mom burst out crying hey finally yo you want to kill me you know how moms are she cried she now asked me after two days she stopped talking to me then she now called me back again and she told me she goes zie you're my daughter i can't throw you away you have said to get pregnant okay so what do you want to do what is your decision whatever decision you take i'll be here and i told my mom that i want to keep it in fact for the fact that i've kept it up till now then she now asked me how months gone are you and i told her she was now like what that means you were pregnant when you came back the other time and you couldn't tell me you know because she's a nurse and so she felt like she felt i betrayed her <laughs> and so but we kept on communicating on phone and we decided that we are not going to tell my dad until i'm ready to put the to bed so that my dad does not 
lose it because he's hypertensive. And so I told my dad two weeks before my delivery <laughs> so that if anything is happening, <laughs> it will just happen once. I'm giving birth. He knows I'm pregnant. Before he knows it, I'm giving birth. And that was, so that was the plan. So I, I was in constant communication with my mom. In fact, my mom bought clothes for the baby and we build it to me and I had to pick it up. So he was, she was there every step of the way, advising me what to eat and all that. But I was in this remote village in Cross River. I had nobody with me. The only person I had was my neighbors who were indigenous and they were really helpful. My neighbor who was a woman, she, she went to labor with me. My best friend left her job in Abuja for one month and came to stay with me until I put to bed. And we were feeding off her money that she saved up and all that. So that was the support I got during that period, really. Mm. That was the support because, and I didn't, my mom actually wanted to come stay with me, but I refused. My grandmom also wanted to come stay with me. I refused because I didn't want them to see me that way. Because I felt like it will break them as much as they want to support me. I couldn't stand the look on their face seeing me pregnant, you know. I could stand them seeing me give birth, you know, have the child. But, you know, that whole pregnancy, ah, I couldn't stand it. So I refused help from them, like being physically with me. Mm. So you didn't allow them come see you because you felt that your mom seeing you would break her because that wasn't what she was expecting from you. But as at that time, you were broken too. How did yes. you process that feeling? How did you get over it? Um, I would say that that was the moment I was very close to God. That was when I was, my relationship with God became stronger because I was fighting so many insecurities and mental challenges, depression, you know, hopelessness and all that. And so I got to see when I worship or when I pray or when I study the word of God, I felt this sense of upliftment. It was as if I was seeing God. I was seeing myself through God's eyes in a way that, you know, made me feel like, okay, this is not the worst. I, you know, I had, I had help, you know, I'm not worthless. I'm not all that. Then another thing that kept me through that time was books. So I had this mentality, that period that, okay, you know what, while I'm carrying this baby within me, I'll be studying, I'll be reading books, a lot of self-help books, motivation books. So I was reading it in preparation for when I would give birth so that I don't miss out on anything because I'm a sucker for knowledge. Like I'm somebody that loves knowledge. I seek knowledge. And so I found comfort in books reading, you know, so I would read and I'll put myself in such a way. I think one of the books that helped me was um, Attitude is Everything. That book saved my life because it made me see my situation as not the worst. It made me try to focus on what I could do even in this situation that will help me rather than wallowing in pity. So yes, that was how I was able to go through this. Okay. 
I do think during your time of uh, prayers and meditation, God did speak to you. He, he told you through your father that you are the daughter of a king. Why yes. have you chosen to be a pauper? Yes. 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 So, Even though I didn't mention that, that was my prodigal son moment. Because immediately he said that to me. That was the, that was the revelation I got when my dad said that. And that turned mm. everything around. Yeah. Mm. So I want to quickly ask, did you try to play the blame game? Like, uh, did you try to be like, oh, if you had allowed me go when I was 16, this would never have happened? Or did you try to play the blame game? No. No, I didn't. Okay. So, yeah, leaving home for my humanitarian work broadened my horizon and showed me that a lot of things were possible. You know, it was the second time I was leaving home. and But it's not just the second time I was leaving home. I was leaving home for a job. And that job was not any kind of job. That job gave me my first airplane travel experience. I remember when I was traveling, I was in the flight, I started to cry because I felt like God gave me a second chance to live my life because coming from Nigeria, being, I was 27 then, being a woman and the culture that I come from, the Igbo culture, when you have a child out of wedlock, your regard reduces, you know. And then if you are not exposed or educated, you are almost like damaged goods. And so you're thinking that I don't have any hope, you know. And you know, the picture I would always have the time I was carrying my son was, if I have this son, what if things are so bad that I'll carry a tray of wear on my head and carry my child on the back just to survive. And to be honest with you, I already made peace with that thought, even though I didn't like it, but I felt like, okay, if this is what is going to take me and my son to the promised land, I'm going to do it. So finding myself in that airplane, looking out from the, and it was a window seat. So I was seeing the clouds. I was feeling like God, brought me here to tell me something. And so I started crying. I said to myself, so you have really given me a second chance to live my life because compared to other people who may go through this, this may not be their story, you know? And so after that, I had to, I, I started traveling around. I, I traveled, that job gave me made me travel to 26 out of 36 states in Nigeria. I met people from diverse culture and experiences. You know, that job gave me my sense of work and work ethic. And it also exposed me to the challenges of women in the rural areas because my job had to do with um, the sexual and reproductive health rights of women especially in emergency settings. So that meant I worked in Medjugri, Adamawa, Yola. So I was exposed to a lot of things. And then a part of my job also, when I changed, I changed units. I went to, I started, I went to the government sector. So I traveled and, you know, I, I had exposure in 
women in politics. And so all this experience just accumulated to, you know, ignite that passion in me for gender advocacy. That's why sometimes when I talk about women's rights and gender, I'm very passionate because I've not only lived that story, I've seen mm. like real life issues and I'm like, what the hell? Sorry, I'm swearing on your podcast, but <laughs> I'm like, what are you guys, you know, talking about? So, yeah. So the humanitarian life chose me, if I would say. It chose me. I didn't choose it, but it was like a springboard to everything good or bad that started happening to me. No, I won't say bad, good that started happening to my life because I made strong, I built strong network from there. Most of the people that I have a sense of friendship and relationship now with his as a result of that job you know and that was how I met a colleague that has traveled to 32 countries and the one question he asked me was Rita do you have a passport <laughs> and I said no and she, he was like are you kidding me a big girl like you like big girl in quotes now because of the job I was doing you know a big girl like you, you're earning well and you don't have a passport, God forbid. I am going to make sure that you get a passport. And so he pushed me to get a passport. Two months after I got the passport, he sent me a mail. Rita, there is a conference in South Africa. I want you to go. I'm one of the facilitators. Should I put your name? I said to myself, should I put my name? Should I? He said, don't even think about it. I'll put your name. Start looking for money. You're going to South Africa. And <laughs> that was the journey that started my second, eh, third living home. <laughs> so yeah, I went to the conference and I saw a world that I'd never seen before. In fact, I thought I was living the life in Nigeria. But when I went to South Africa for the conference, I knew that I had just scratched the surface. And so I applied for an internship during the conference. I pitched myself and the lady that owned one of the organizations there was like, we need you here to do gender-based violence since you have experience in, you know, gender and advocacy. We need you here. So we would send you your acceptance letter and so that you can process your papers and start coming and yeah that was how that journey started and so when I told my parents about it because I went in November came back went for Christmas in December and so everything was happening and everybody was enjoying but inside my mind I knew I had something I wanted to tell them and I was skeptical because number one don't forget I have a son back home. Number two, you know, my parents allowing me to even go to Abuja when I got the job was a struggle because they felt like I had a son that was barely two years. I just stopped breastfeeding and I'm leaving Enugu to Abuja. They had that fear of that is how you left Enugu to cross river, you got pregnant. Now, if you leave and go to Abuja, what will happen? You know, they had that fear. So, <laughs> so now I had to now, it's not even I'm leaving for, I'm leaving the whole Nigeria entirely. So it was hard for me to come to terms with how to break this news to them. And so after the Christmas, 
I was supposed to leave Nigeria on the 25th of January, 2019. And so after New Year celebration, January 1st, 2019, second, we usually have this family meeting where we talk about things we want to do for the year as a family. And I now broke the news. There was a five minute silence as if somebody died. <laughs> I held, I was pinching myself. I said to myself, no, because already in my mind, I had made up. In fact, I had bought my flight tickets. That was how ready I was. And my dad now broke the silence and said, Chigozi, for you to even tell us, I know that you have made up your mind. You're not seeking our permission. You are just informing us. <laughs> I said, no, daddy, no, you know, you have to be modest because ah, anything can happen. He might just tell you, if you leave this house, you're no longer my daughter and everything will scatter. So I had to play that modest, but inside my mind, I knew that he was right. And so he said to me, I won't hold you back, but I want you to consider that you have a son. Then my son was five and he was like, you have a son. Are you going to leave him? If you're going to leave him, what are the plans you have for him? Leaving him with us. Number two, you are not married. If you go to abroad, you know how they call it. You might not marry again. In fact, that was how, where my mom jumped in and was like, <laughs> yes, I agree. She goes, can't you just wait when you now marry? You can decide to go anywhere you want because... If you now, you know, so my, my mom, as a conventional woman that she was or, or she is and had my interest at heart, she already had this mindset that I have a son. I'm disadvantaged in getting married. So me aspiring for my career is even making things worse because you are not married. You are pursuing career. Which man will accept you with all your money if you eventually get big money? And then your son, you know, so he, he kept hammering on, please, will you now marry? Will you now marry and go back? I said, but I don't have anybody to marry me. How will I now wait for somebody that doesn't even know that I am here? So I'm, I'm really going to go. This is what I want. So I tried to convince them and say that, you know, if I leave, things will be better for us. You know, I tried to talk them into the whole thing. And so they accepted and I left home. Okay, so far, leaving home for the fourth time, how has it been like for you? Leaving your son behind and all that, how has that been like for you? It's been difficult, I would not lie to you. It's, it's been so difficult that sometimes I would cry when I'm just by myself because I miss him, I miss my family. You know, and sometimes I have this guilt that I am not a good mother. What good mother leaves her child, you know, even though I've come to terms with a lot of things. And that's why I, I would say I've come, to, I've come to a place of conviction with all those expectations of motherhood and all that. But I think what has kept me through all of this is the passion and the drive that I have which is wanting more. I want more for myself and for my family. 
when I left Nigeria, I left with a sense of responsibility as a firstborn. You know, I wanted to be that person in my family that will break the cycle for the next coming generation, you know, because as far as I'm concerned, or as much as I know, I am the only person that has traveled out in my family, you know. And then for me, that action alone means that I have broken a cycle that I don't want anybody coming after me to live lower than the standard I have set. Not that I want them to live like me, but if you're a spiritual person like me, you would understand that there are things you do. The actions you take are not just physical. They also have a ripple effect in the spiritual realm. And so I was like, if this is what it will take for me to get there, then I would do it, you know. And coupled also with the fact that my, my dad will always tell me, Chigose, if you were a boy, you would be my first son, but you are a girl. But unfortunately, you are still my first child. And so whatever I will require from my first son, I require it from you. And that mindset has really shaped the way I take decisions. When I take decisions, I I don't consider whether it is appropriate for me as a woman. I just take that decision with the sense of responsibility of what is ahead or what is behind me or what I need to do. So yeah, that kept me going. But there were times I also broke down. I would miss my family. I would miss my son. I would feel guilty. I would feel lonely and alone. But I pick myself up and keep pursuing that life I want for every person, including myself. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not a mother yet, but uh, I'm truly looking forward to becoming a mother. Uh, But I want to say that I think that at every point in time, every mother has felt like a bad mom. Yes. True. You can't do it all. (laughs) True. So... Okay, so what do you do when you miss him? I don't allow myself to miss him too much. I'm constant, I constantly call him, you know. But then there's something I, um, I want to highlight here now, right? He relates with me like a sister more than a mother because of that, you know, gap, you know. And so, and also because my mom set out to make sure that that attachment and fondness doesn't happen between us so that I'll be able to marry. <laughs> so that, that was the reason, you know. But then there's this unique bond I share with my son that like there was a day before even I traveled out of the country, I was working on my laptop, you know, and he just walked up to me. He was, he was five I think that was even before the Christmas before I left. He walked up to me and he said, remember when you used to breastfeed me? And he ran away. He said it to me and he ran away. And so I turned at him in surprise because how could he remember? This is somebody that perceives me as a sister. How did he remember that I once breastfed him? You know, and this is something I I highlighted this because I wanted to make a point here. The things you do with conviction, when your spirit tells you to do something, just do it. There's a reason for it. 
when I came back with my son, my mom already bought tins of milk, formula milk for my son. Because she said that if I breastfeed this child, my, my son will know that I'm the mother and she doesn't want that, you know. But I insisted, I fought with my mom, not physically, but we had this cold war because I insisted I was going to breastfeed my son. And so this same breastfeeding has now become the connect, the only connect I have <laughs> with my son, even at this time and this moment, to the extent that when he feels sick, I know when something, when I feel like something is about to happen to him, I know all the way from South Africa. So like, I don't feel like being physically there, even though I feel like I needed to be there, but something is just making up for my absence just because of the conviction and the decision I made. So yeah, I just thought to highlight that. So we constantly talk over the phone and we are good. Okay. Yeah. I want to ask, your son should be seven years old now? He'll be eight in April. Okay. Have you ever thought of wanting to let him know who you really are before he grows to become a grown man, letting him address you as mom, as mother, having that mother and son conversation with him? Yes, but I feel like it's not yet time for me to do that because I am still away. So you are a Nigerian, you know how these dynamics work, right? My family has been very supportive, especially my mom, in being the mom for him. And so breaking that news over the phone to him will definitely cause a problem between me and my family because they will now think I'm being ungrateful and because I know emotionally to also mess my son up because he might start acting up and become, you know, something else with my parents. So I am leaving it to when I come back everybody's physically present. I would have talked to my parents and, you know, get them to see my point of view. And I think these discussions are not good over the phone. It's not something you talk over the phone. So when I'm physically present and we agree, I can now break that news to my son and we take it from there. And also knowing that if I, if I break that news to my son, I am going to be with him. It's not just me being in isolation because I, as a child, he may not understand the sacrifices and why I'm taking or making these decisions you get. So I don't want to be absent in his life when I eventually tell him that I'm the mother. I want to be able to be with him going forward. Mm. Okay. That's a great idea. Knowing that you have that in mind and you are preparing for a particular time to be with him, have that connection with him when you finally break that news to him. So you shouldn't say you feel like a bad mom. That <laughs> is the plan of a good mom. Trust me. <laughs> okay. Okay. So tell us, you're staying in South Africa for over a year now. How have you been enjoying it? Uh, well, it's a lot of mixed feelings. I enjoy some I don't, adjusting to a new culture, a new country, new way of things. So I would say it's bittersweet, you know, it feels good to, to live in a, in a society where things are functional, most systems work, 
that is actually better than where I'm coming from. I will not even lie and pretend, you know, but um, at the same time, adjusting as a foreigner or an immigrant here is not easy because you don't get things easy, you know, you also get this um, bias when you're a Nigerian. So people are constantly looking at you with a second eye. Once you say you're a Nigerian, ah, Nigerians, you know, we don't really have a good name here. And so it's a bit tough, but yes, it's bittersweet. I love it. And sometimes I'm like, ah, are you sure I should not just go back home? Okay. I have two more personal questions for you before we move on to our signature question for today's episode. I want you to tell us, so far, you've been alone in South Africa for some time now, all by yourself, walking and all that. How has it been like finding yourself with the story you just shared with us now? Well, um, I think finding myself started when I had my child, it's like a cumulative, you know, experience over time. Because with having my son and the experience I went through kind of built my self-confidence and convictions to, and gave me the courage to actually stand for what I believe in. Because keeping my child was like a situation that got me to stand for what I wanted and what I believe in. Remember I told you that back then in school, I couldn't. So I think that was when that girl that has always been in me was allowed to finally express herself through the things that she truly wants, you know. And so I had to unmask myself and question all the parts of me, both the ones I liked, both the ones I didn't like. I started evaluating the things I liked, you know, I acknowledged them, the things I didn't like, I acknowledged them and accepted them. And then I started pursuing self-awareness through books and constantly interrogating myself. I reached a place where I accepted myself fully and I came to an agreement with myself that regardless of what happens, you are not going to shut that girl up again. Whatever this girl, that inner girl in you, whatever she wants or however she wants to express herself, let her. Do not say, ah, this is not appropriate because you are a woman or, you know, allow her to express it. Then when she expresses herself, you can now interrogate it with the lens of your understanding and exposure to now have that self-talk eventually to say, but this is not right, or this is right, or, you know, and be able to move past any mistake and forgive myself. So my first reaction is not to shut the girl up, but to allow that full expression to come out. So that was how finding myself and becoming journey started i'm not afraid or i don't feel ashamed to talk about things or you know the things i stand for you know i just allow that expression to come out okay so it's been eight years since you gave birth to your son mm. have you at any time heard from his father if you hear from him what would be your reaction so i met 
the father, because the father is a military man, is a high-ranking officer. So um, during my humanitarian service in Medjugorje, we bumped into each other because he was also serving in Medjugorje. And then he saw me and he was very surprised because when we got to sit down and talk, according to him, he said he didn't expect me or he didn't expect to see me at this status of life. And that was when I knew that God really loved me. <laughs> and so I was happy. You know, I was, I really thanked God that day. I was like, God, thank God that this man met me in my full glory. I wasn't lacking anything. Sis, I was pink from my head to my toe because uh -huh. I was living. <laughs> so I was, I was happy he saw me that way. But when mm -hmm. he expressed that thought, I really saw his heart for who he was. You know, I saw him as that man that was not matured and that I really casted my pearls to the swine, you get. Because after four years of having that child, telling him that I was pregnant and him rejecting it and him talking like that after four years, I felt like there was no growth. He didn't, like, there was no transformation. And so... <laughs> I was thanking God that, okay, this man, God delivered me from this man, you know, and also thanking God that he saw me in a good state. And so I told him, okay, you have a son. And he said that he's not sure he's his son yet, that I claimed that he is his son. And so this means that he's currently living in denial. But the one that broke the camel's back was when he now said that. If his son grows up and wants to see him, he will be here waiting for him. Oh my God. See, patriarchy is a bastard. Patriarchy is a bastard. What? Yes, that was what he said. And that was when I zeroed my heart out that, you see, I'm going to raise my son. And I made it clear to my family. We are going to raise this son to think that my dad is his dad. Because to be a father, you need to be present. It's not by donating sperm. But at the same time, we are going to raise him with the assertiveness that he wouldn't look for his identity in another man. Thinking that if he doesn't see his father, he is not a human being, you know. So that is the approach we raise him to know that he is complete, he is full. We give him all the love that he needs, that he doesn't even know, you know. And so we are doing all this with the hope that he will grow up, even if he says he wants to go and see his father tomorrow, we will allow him. But he will be very assertive to know when the man is playing him and lying to him or wants to, you know, gain favor from him. So, yes. That is, that is my, that is where we stand with letting him know who the father is because the father doesn't even want him. So we can't force it on him. And since then you've never heard from him? No, I've not. Hmm. Oh, Rita. Unless maybe we bump into each other in South Africa. <laughs> that would be a wonderful meeting. Oh my God, your story is so uplifting. I'm glad I Thank brought you. you to the podcast to share this story with us. 
And uh, I now understand why I was curious to know, why did she leave home? Who uses that as a username, the girl who left home? Why did she leave home? I kept asking myself, and I kept going to your profile, looking around, trying to see some things. I saw humanitarian. I said, oh, did she leave home for humanitarian services or what is it? Is it a non-governmental organization? Is she volunteering? I never knew that the story is this deep. I never knew about this, and I'm so glad you I brought you in to share this on the podcast. How do you feel like now that you've been able to, have you spoken about this for a very long time or is this your first time really opening up, especially on a podcast? This is my first time really. And uh, when you sent me that mail, remember what I did? I quickly came to your DM and I said, Sarah, why are you asking me about the girl who left home? Remember? <laughs> because... Remember. This is a story that I put away somewhere, you know, I never refer to that girl ever. I don't go back, even though it's a source of motivation, but I don't talk about her so much because I feel that it came with a lot of hurt and wounds that I've not fully healed from. And so whenever I tell that story, it's like touching the scab of my wound, you know, and poking it. I still feel pain, you know, because it hasn't completely healed. And so I try as much as possible to avoid that part of me. So it's the part of me I show you or I tell you about that you see, you get. So, but I was, I was like, but what made Sarah ask me? Nobody has ever asked me about the girl who left home. I even wrote an ebook about this part of my life. I wanted to publish it last year, but something in my spirit just said, it's not yet time. And so I left it, right? So when you now came and asked me, I said, it's God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because I'm not ready to, you know, come out like this. I'm not ready to come out like this. But yeah, that's it. This is the first time I'm actually sharing that story on a podcast. How do you feel? Lights? I feel it's, it's, it's a mixed feeling for me. Mm. I feel happy that I'm eventually talking about it, you know, because I feel it will help somebody else. But... I feel, I feel hot again, you know, because with every, with every sacrifice comes with something you are losing, you know? So I, I don't know whether you knew about it. I, I lost my brother in January. Mm -hmm. I wasn't able oh. to travel because of COVID. So sorry that about that. My, yeah, it's fine. My only brother. We are just three in my family, me, my brother, my sister. And so... He was buried already. The last time I saw him was in 2018. So sometimes when I think about it, I say, Shebi, if I did not leave home now, you know, things would have been different. I won't feel this hot as much as, or maybe I would have done something that will make him not die. You know, a lot of things. And then I think of my son missing out on his development and growth. I don't want to be a remote mom, a phone mom, <laughs> a phone call mom, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's bittersweet. It's a mix of a lot of things. I feel happy I'm sharing, but while I share, I still feel hot and all that. 
think that's the most important part of it. You feel happy that you are sharing it. The mixed feelings will be there, but there's this part of you that you are so grateful that I've shared it. And I think the more you do share the story, the lighter you become. I know sometimes wounds do not heal completely. Like they say, time heals everything. And I ask myself, <laughs> is it <I> true? <laughs> is it true? <laughs> so, because I know what it feels like to lose a loved one, and uh, but I really do not know what it feels like being a mom right now and having to live separately. You are a lonesome boy, your child is a lonesome boy. I would not say I know how it feels like. I totally do not know how it feels like at all. That is why I'm glad that you are sharing this story with us today. Oh, so as signature questions, I, I think you've told us all about yourself. You've shared everything. Like you came to the podcast naked. And uh, from this experience, I want you to give us your definition of freedom as a woman. My definition of freedom is having a limitless mind, having a why not mind. You know, whatever you think of in your mind, ask yourself, why not? Instead of I can't, you know, and coupled with that, I would say also that or added to that, I'll say that. Freedom is not being afraid to make mistakes. Okay. So I would like you to debunk two myths from your experience, especially from being a mom at uh, 26 and your mother trying to hide that part of you, uh, which is very common in uh, Nigerian society here in Africa. So I want you to debunk two myths. Okay. The first one I will say is societal expectations of your gender may limit you, but what you think of yourself and the gender you belong to will limit you more. And what I mean by this is if I had said because I was a woman or because I am a woman, I agreed with what my mom thought, you know, and the decisions she made in my best interest as a woman to a fellow woman. Maybe I wouldn't be here today. Maybe I would have been married to a man who wouldn't love me, or I would have been in a marriage that I would regret because I would feel unfulfilled. So there are things that are already out there that will limit us as women because of societal expectations. But what we think of ourselves will limit us more than what you know people expect from us. And then the second one is dwelling in your uniqueness as yourself that is your superpower like you see that girl in me that i allowed to express herself that is everything to me like i feel like i've never lived all my life that is now that i'm actually living so do not consider whether you're a man or a woman consider yourself a human being and dwell in that uniqueness as a human being because once the buyer starts coming in you begin to say, oh, which one should I do? Which one shouldn't I do? You know, so dwell in your uniqueness. Allow your self-expression to come out. Okay, for a woman who has been through what you have been through, if you are to come in contact with a fellow woman now who happens to be pregnant, going through all of these, 
what would be your advice to her from your experience? So what I would say is stand in your convictions, know what you want, stand in your truth. And your truth is that you're a human being. You are loved by God. Draw strength from the love of God. Center yourself in his love. And then know what you want and stand by it. Do not be afraid. Do not think you are alone because you are not. Your situation doesn't define you. A good thing can come out from that situation only if you are willing to see it and take the actions necessary to achieve it. You are not weak. You are not worthless. You are still whole, even though you have a child. <laughs> you are still whole and complete. You're, you are not worthless. Your worth is still intact. You're worthy of all good things. Don't think that your situation is whatever bad that happens to you becomes a consequence of what you did. No. Your worth is still intact. Yes. And okay. you are loved. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much, Rita, for joining me on the table today and for sharing the story with us. Yeah. It's been amazing so far since the beginning of this episode. Thank you so much. So, thank if, you. If our listeners choose to connect with you, how would they do that? Okay, so they can connect with me on Instagram at the girl unplugged, or they can email me at retouchquique at gmail.com. Or they can connect with me on Facebook, retouchquique. I'm there too. Okay. So I'll just leave all that on the show notes so as to make it easier for any listener who would want to connect with you. Again, Rita, thank you so much for joining me on the table. It's been amazing so far. Thank and you for giving me a platform to share my story. Mm. Thank you. Okay. And uh, I would also leave a link to your podcast on the show note. I think our listeners should get a feel of your podcast after listening to your okay. story. <laughs> thank you for listening to today's episode. You can subscribe rate us and leave us a review on Apple Podcast or simply subscribe from whatever platform you're listening from. Follow the conversation online. You can find us on Instagram at SheTableTalkPodcast, on Twitter at SheTableTalk. All other details about the podcast and our guest for this episode can be found on the show notes. SheTableTalk is much more than just a podcast. It is a platform for connecting humans with true stories. Visit the podcast website from the show notes to listen to previous episodes. You can fill the guest form on the show notes if you would like to share your story on the podcast. Thank you and goodbye.